take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. Hi, Dr. Ray. I'm Jean, and this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couple Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for over 20 years. You know, everyone says you should work on a relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of. With the partner they fell in love with. Speaking of relationships, um, yesterday was Mother's Day. Yeah. And that is a very special relationship. Mm -hmm. And I just have to say, Jean, you are the most amazing mother I have ever known. And you are so wonderful to our kids. And just seeing what you have brought to their lives, the excitement, the passion for living and spontaneity and love, I just am, I, I, I admire that. I absolutely admire that. You know, it's interesting, the act of giving birth and raising kids is a very different form of mothering initially. It's very physical. You're feeding them, you're diapering them, you're making sure their physical body is being taken care of. And that only lasts for so long in life, right? And now our kids are grown and the act of mothering is so much different. Yeah, definitely. And I feel the act of mothering in so many more people than just the children that I've birthed. Yeah, I mean, I could see you know, the amount of mothering that you do for your nieces and nephews and for your clients and being able to provide that same nurture and guidance and strength. You know, it is a, an amazing thing. And, you know, you're talking about in the beginning it being a physical mothering. It, it is a kind of parenting that men are not able to do. Yeah. I remember maybe 10 years ago, we were part of an airsoft team and it was all guys and me, right? Mm-hmm. And the guys call each other brother. Right. And they call me sister. Mm-hmm. And you kept saying that I was mother. And I was like, no, I'm sister. <laughs> <laughs> and it really is only in the last few years, like I really feel that in the world, that title of mother, of bringing that mother energy of healing and nurturing and an active listening ear and that kind of thing to many people, you know, and it, and it, I wasn't ready when you were like, mother, I'm like, no, I'm sister. You know, you spend your life trying to be the girl. You don't really want to be the older woman, you know, which is the mother. But I I don't think it's really about age. No. Right. I mean, being a mother is more of an archetype, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to provide that that strength and that nurture and 
you know, I keep saying nurture, but I mean, that's like the only word that I can say that really describes that type of energy. Did you know that was my nickname as a little kid? What is that? Mother Jean. No. My siblings called me that. I'm like, okay, Mother Jean. Right. (laughs) So obviously I've been... So, I mean, but that was said in a way of, you know... But they felt the energy of my mothering even back then. Yeah. You taking care Mm -hmm. of people, looking out for others, being Mm -hmm. considerate of what someone else is feeling and what they're experiencing. Right. And I don't see that as a weakness at all. Imagine that's the way that your siblings were saying it from that perspective of yeah, well, when you're doing things you shouldn't be doing, you don't want to get caught. Yeah, and you certainly don't want to be told what to do by your little sister. Yeah. So I wanted to share the story of, um, it's an Adam and Eve story by Betty Eadie, and she wrote a book called Embraced by the Light, which was uh, a story of her experience of a near-death experience, and what she then uh, understood that story of Adam and Eve to be. And the story sounds like this, that in the garden, Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were there hanging out, and Adam was very content. He loved having all his needs met and not having to do anything. It sounds like a lot of guys. <laughs> if it ain't broke, <laughs> don't, don't fix, fix it. it. Right. And the tree of life or the tree of knowledge, which is the forbidden tree, right? Don't eat from the forbidden tree. Eve became aware that she could give birth, but that was not possible in the Garden of Eden because the Garden of Eden was the place of God's creation. And Adam and Eve were a creation of God. And the only way that she could figure out to do that was to tempt Adam into having sex with her to create a baby, which created a a different place, a place where if we have birth, then we have to have death. And the Garden of Eden was immortal. There was no death. And so now we're here, and that kind of from an archetypal sense, brings up a lot of interesting things about men's contentment. Contemptment or content? (laughs) (laughs) We should make a distinction between the two. Maybe there's a relation. (laughs) Um, No, they're contentment. They're like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. And I think that might be part of the the masculine archetype. And then the feminine archetype of that, anticipating, wanting, restlessness, that need to do more. To create? To create. Oh. Yeah. But you you were talking earlier about how you don't think birthing is creation. Right. I think that, well, maybe I'm going to modify it just a little bit. I think that giving giving birth is a creation that happens, the, the creation is inside, and once it's outside, it's its own entity. Like, I don't feel like I'm a creation of my parents. I feel I'm my own entity. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense, sure. And so the responsibility of my life is not my parents. It is, you know, this. it's a concept of artificial intelligence, right? That artificial intelligence can be made absolutely perfect. You can design a robot that everything works absolutely perfect, but 
The point is that it's intelligent, which means it's going to have an experience and integrate that into the system. And now it's got to correct and adjust. And maybe that's what human beings are as well, that whatever we're growing beyond our original creation of what we were well, at, at the moment of creation when God created Adam and Eve, we came to a place and now we are adding to that in good ways and bad ways. Well, I mean, that's that's the whole point of evolution mm-hmm. is that each generation is supposed to become better than the last. Right. Right. To, you know, become better, to expand upon what last generation was able to do. So that concept that we heard on the Oprah thing about her forgiving her mom, where that one guy came on, I don't remember his name, and he said, you know, your parents are pint size and you're gallon size. I think that's always true. Our kids are always bigger than us. We can't possibly fill them up. And we're not designed to. They're designed to have to get that on their own, to go out into the world and to figure out how to be beyond what we are. So when we're looking at Mother's Day and celebrating it, we're celebrating our mother bringing us into this world and not necessarily who we've become since then. Yeah, I was thinking about that in terms of our cherry tree. So we have a cherry tree that we planted a couple of years ago. And when it when we first got it, it was just this kind of a big twig. And at that point, we could plant it straight. We could correct it. We could move it around a little bit. And now that it's got roots and it's more solid, it's kind of growing on an angle. And I don't know how much more influence we can have on it at this stage. So I think early on, our parents and our mothers especially have a much bigger impact on us. Absolutely. And then as we grow, that impact becomes less and less and it's supposed to. Right. You are supposed to move out of your your parents' basement at some <laughs> point, at, at some point, right? And to kind of take on a life of your own. So yeah, I mean, I could see that in the earlier years, you know, your mother has a lot of an influence, right? And we know the absence of that influence too and, and the effect on kids mm-hmm. growing up. Yeah. So... But at some point, now you take whatever direction you were given, whatever tools and skills, and now it's up to you to create your own life and your own direction. That reminds me of a poem by the prophet. I don't know if you've ever read that book. No, I haven't. And it says, speak to us of children. Your children come through you, but are not of you. And your children belong to the future, a place where you can never visit, not even in your dreams. And that parents are like living bows and they fling the arrow that's the the child is the living arrow that we give them as much stuff as we can and then we fling them into the future and then they take it from there. And that God loves the living bow and God loves the living arrow. It's kind of a really cool analogy. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. I like that. I didn't quote that perfectly. I don't have the book in front of me, but um, yeah. But I think we get the concept. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so it's really interesting to think about all these kind of things. And when I think about my experience being a child of a mother and a mother of a child, it's a very different thing. And when I became a mother, I became very consumed with 
where is my child? Is my child fed? Is my child diapered? Does my child need warmth? Whatever those things are, especially early in life. And I, and I remember thinking, when am I going to feel like a mom? Because I'm taking care of this little being, but I have little siblings and, you know, cousins and nieces and nephews. So I've taken care of children before. And I really don't think it's until someone starts calling you mom, you know, and that might be a good year, year and a half before you're being called something, you know, to kind of feel that way. But as a mom, your focus is on where's my kid? What do they need? And I don't think that ever goes away. No, I, I don't think it it does because I am the son of a mother, but I can never be the mother of a son. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a bond that mothers have with their kids that across the board, it is just given, right? It is a bond because you birthed the child, right? Versus fathers, it's really a bond of choice. And so if a father doesn't choose to create that bond, it it just doesn't exist. That's true. That's interesting because when we did the episode on jealousy Mm -hmm. and we talked about the reasons men and women experience jealousy, they when we were doing the research, they said that if a guy doesn't know a child is his, it's not painful in either direction. If he raises a child that's not biologically his, but he believes it is, it's not painful. Or if he doesn't bond with his child, I don't think it's painful either. It's only painful once the bond is there. Where a woman gives birth and you know exactly where that child came from and who that child's mother is. Right. And there's no denying of that. And, you know, the opposite of being the child is you don't have that same bond with your mom that your mom has with you. The mom bond is, where's my kid? I have to take care of them. They need me. And the opposite, the child never, well, they're not supposed to go, well, where's my mom? And my mom needs me. Their job is to grow up and leave the mother. You know, that's very interesting because there are cultures where the belief is, you know, or the cultural belief, I should say, is that the younger generations are supposed to grow up and take care of the older generations. You know, there are cultures where the older generations move in, actually, with the children and are now taken care of by the younger generation. And and, and we see a lot of, you know, families like that come through our practice, and there are just a lot of complications when it comes to integrating into this society in the United States versus coming from the older, old world, I should say, right? And it, I think it is that clash between those two beliefs, I think, you know, is that the younger generation is supposed to grow beyond the older generation and supposed to give ahead, right, or pass that on to the next generation versus passing it back. I think that is a developmental stage thing that doesn't always get thought out. And so I I think it's true when you have parents who are old and need care that you give to them. 
But sometimes I'm working with someone who is maybe this person's in their 40s and they've been taking care of their mom for 20 years already because their dad died 20 years ago. And then you think, well, how old was your mom when your dad died? And and they go, well, she was in her 40s. But they always had this perception that mom was needy or dependent or weak or needed taken care of. Mm. And that's a very different thing because she was able-bodied and capable at that age and she just wasn't willing. She just chose not to. Right. And so, yeah, if you're talking about an aging parent that has you know, is not capable Ailments of, or sure. The, right. Then, then of course. And, you know, and that's a really difficult thing to do to take care of your parent at, from that place, especially when that can be five, 10, 15, 20 years of giving back. But when you are in your teenage years, your early twenties and you don't break away and your parents aren't autonomous enough to allow you to break away, to encourage you to break away, that's what we're talking about is more of the dysfunction, not about not taking care of your aging parents. So when we're talking about the role of the mother specifically, it is a role that has to evolve over time. Beginning, you are providing more of this nurture and you know gentle structure. Is that a good way of saying it? Kind of that embrace of the mother. It's warm, it's nurturing, it's loving, but it's also safe. Right. But then as the child grows, you are to allow them to venture on their own and to explore and to create their lives. Yeah. If we go back to that fruit tree analysis, right? Like the analogy. Analogy. (laughs) The tree holds the fruit until it's ripe and then it drops it. And that fruit has everything it needs to create its own its own tree and its own fruit. And yeah, that space in there is really important. And I always see moms as, if we're talking about plants, mom is the sunshine and the bringing up of the water and the nutrients and growing the child, growing that fruit. I always see dads as the trellis, the shaping and the pruning of the plant. And when you see children that don't have strong fathers, they kind of grow wild. They still grow, but sometimes they grow a little wild. And if you see children without mothers, they there's like that wound of... Of not growing. Yeah. 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 And that's a, a really hard wound for people who experienced a loss of a mother early in life, especially if no, nothing, no other woman stepped in and helped with that. I had seen this this video of of a guy in England, and he was born with this disorder of disfiguration of his face. And on the birth record, it said that, you know, the parents were so horrified by the way he looked that they did not want to have anything to do with him and left him at the hospital. And through the video, you can see and hear how much abandonment that he went through just knowing that his parents, and and I I would think specifically his mother, didn't want to have anything to do with him after she birthed him. And it was a very big struggle for him. He, He did, he was 
adopted, you know, by parents who were able to love him and take care of him. But that was a lifelong struggle for him, amount of abandonment that he went through. And if I remember that story, he found his birth parents and they rejected him again. Right. And he had a very kind adoptive mother who taught him to love himself. And he said, I no longer think about maybe getting surgeries to fix, you know, my disfiguration because I have accepted myself. And I think that really speaks to an important thing of a different layer of being human, you know, because we have our physical bodies, but our bodies are ours, but they're not us. It's not who we are. The who we are, the the child in him, the person in him that's longing for love and connection and attention and care and belonging is not his disfigured face. And you can fix the face or not fix the face, but that doesn't fix or not fix that problem. Right. You could still have that longing, mm-hmm. you know, for attention and validation and acceptance. Right. And I would say that that is probably, you know, we just were, re- we were interviewed on a podcast and at the end he asked us the question of what do you want people to know about love? And I think I said something along the lines of you really have to learn to heal your own wounds and love yourself in order to receive that love from somewhere else. And that's what was such a great part of that guy's story is He never got the love of his biological parents ever. They rejected him at birth and they rejected him as an adult when he found them. And yet he healed and he's able to accept love and he's able to be whole in a disfigured body. And I think we have way too much emphasis on our physical beings as though it means more than it does. That somehow the size of your thighs is equal to the amount of love you deserve to have or how much hair you have on top of your head or the size of your girth or whatever is the thing that we're going to measure becomes so irrelevant in life, in real life, when you really are there and the essence of a person and and that love is a really incredible thing to be able to be whole enough to love yourself in that way and to be able to receive that kind of love and to be able to give that kind of love. So, I mean, that kind of goes back to what we've been saying, and that is that you are in charge of your own creation, Mm -hmm. you know, and we do a lot with clients and helping them understand where some of their pain has come from. It has come from a lot of times their caregivers, right? Maybe their mother, maybe their father, but ultimately it is up to us to move forward, to create our lives the way that we want to create and to assume that role of that purpose in life. I would, I wish I could say this 100%, but I think it's at least 99.9% that parents never wake up in the morning and think, how can I screw over my kid? There are definitely parents that are not healthy people that don't do that. But I think most human beings at least have the intention, even if their own wounds prevent them from carrying that intention out. I'd like to think so. Yeah. I'd like to think that at least they have 
positive intentions, Mm -hmm. whether they follow through with it and are successful at helping their kids grow, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that remains to be seen, but the intention is there. Right. And, you know, one of the things that we know is that for the most part, when boys get hurt, they lash out. And when girls get hurt, they lash in. And I think a really wounded girl grows up to be a mother that has very a very difficult time loving their children, especially their same gender children. But it comes from a wound. It doesn't come from, that's not who we are in our humanness and in our beingness. Who we are unbroken is love and compassion, wanting to take care of and nurture. And so that's such a big realization for people that we're working with to understand that your parent was probably not unwilling to meet your needs. They were unable. And it was never about you. And that's a big wound to heal, that you understand your own goodness, even in your parents' limitations. And if we're pint, if we're pint size, we've all hurt our children. Well, I mean, it's a very difficult pill to swallow for a lot of people mm-hmm. who may have grown up in like an abusive household, you know, where their their mother or father were abusive towards them, to be able to look at them as wounded humans that were unable, didn't have the skills, didn't have the tools, right? Didn't have the knowledge or the insight to be able to provide that nurture and care for you. That's a, that's a really difficult thing for people. It's a really difficult pill to swallow because it happened at a time in your life when you were so vulnerable and completely dependent on people that weren't capable. For survival. Yeah, it's, that's a really scary thing. But if you've grown up and you've already survived it, it can be really comforting to have that thought that I don't have to wait for them to finally give me what I needed all along because they don't have it. But I can get it. I can get it for myself and then I can be a part of a different relationship where I can exchange that. So we know that giving birth is one of the greatest things that can happen on this planet. That we choose to bring life into this world, sometimes not so much a conscious choice, right? And then we have to take that child and spend many, many years of nurturing and growing that person until they're independent enough to sustain themselves. And so thank you to all the moms, all the late nights, all the feedings and the cleaning up of the poop and all the things that go with being a mother and all the love and caring and doing your best. And Mother's Day is a very hard-earned holiday. And it's definitely something that is important to celebrate. And I think if we learned anything about this pandemic, you know, a year ago, we were still under lockdown, you know, during Mother's Day. And it really, it really shined a light on what, what is truly important about our relationship with our mothers. And this is a time to continue that, that reverence and, and not allow things to kind of slip in the cracks and become you know, something that we take for granted. 
you know, on the weekend intensive, we kind of asked the people on the weekend participating to look at their mothers, both their strengths and the weaknesses. And they felt bad talking about their mother's weaknesses. And they said, well, are we just complaining about our moms or our parents? And it's really about loving them as they are, about knowing that they are human beings with strengths and weaknesses. And when we can identify that, then we know what is not ours and we can grow beyond that. And so that's a really important thing to be honest and truthful about who our mothers are and what they gave us and what they didn't have to give us and to grow beyond that. And it's sacred. It's sacred in its imperfections because we are not perfect. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us today on Couple Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive, our online membership called Connections, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And our next weekend intensive is September 9th through the 15th, through the 12th. 9th through the 12th. 9th through the 12th. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.